Is mismatch really a problem and do all types of mismatch have the same implications uh, for the worker? So I'll just, uh, I've talked a little bit about the motivation, I'll go into it a bit more. I'll give you something on the, on the data, the methodologies, and present the results and then we'll sum up and conclude. So the central motivation of this paper is to make a distinction between two measures of mismatch, over-education. Over-education is, for example, where a graduate is in a job uh, with a, that only requires a leaving certificate, so you are over-educated for that job. Overskilling is uh, a measure, uh, it's basically a subjective-based measure, where the individual just tells us that the skills that they have are over and above what are needed for their job. So they have access skills, or their skills are being underutilized in their current job. And what we want to do is establish the extent to which different combinations of mismatch, and I talk about those combinations uh, are costly to the individual, and the extent to which um, those costs differ according to uh, the measure uh, that we're looking at. Now, generally, the literature just looks at the cost with respect to wages, and we think that's probably wrong. Um, so what we do here is we, we extend that. We look at uh, the impact on job satisfaction because... For example, someone may be overeducated, but they may choose to be overeducated because they may be compensating, getting compensation in other ways. I mean, they might get lower wages, but they might be able to have a better family life. So therefore, they may not be, have lower levels of job satisfaction. And if you don't have lower levels of job satisfaction, then arguably, it's not a problem. Similarly, if someone is mismatched, well then, if that's a problem, we would expect them to job separate. We would expect them either to be able sort of a crap worker, then they get sacked, or they would not be very happy and they would, they would quit. So we would expect higher rates of job mobility uh, if uh, the level of mismatch, uh, the mismatched worker found their mismatched state uh, to be a problem. There is some literature on this, but it's very limited. There's a vast literature on over-education, but the literature with respect to skill mismatches is much more um, limited. Uh, Francis Green and Zhu have a working paper from 2008 uh, and they find that whilst both education and skill mismatch lower wages, only skill mismatch uh, lower satisfaction. Uh, and there's an older paper by Valderveld and an, an Oxford economic paper from 2001 and he states, he finds that only when you model both things together, only uh, skill mismatch actually lowers wages. We uh, argue that we're extending the literature here because uh, we're looking at more distinct combinations of mismatch and also we're looking at it in the context of a panel which is a much more robust uh, way of doing things if, as, you, as you all know. So the variables that we use here, now the data set I'll talk about a little bit later is HILDA, it's the Household Income and Labour Dynamics of Australia uh, data set. It's something like the BHPS, that's a household panel, it's been running for around seven years. Now unfortunately the way we usually, my, my preferable over-education variable is just subjective. So you ask someone, you know, uh, to what extent do your educational qualifications match your job? And if they say I'm overqualified, then we use that subjective measure. Now, we don't have a subjective measure in Hilda, but there, are, there is a means of calculating over-education through the empirical method. And what we do here is we say, well, an individual is over-educated if uh, the, the over-education level is one... Uh, standard deviation of, above the occupational mode. So say the occupational mode, uh, an individual is, is in a, the managerial occupation, the modal level of schooling is 12 years, that's 10 years, the standard deviation of that distribution is 2. If they have 12 more uh, years of schooling, they're over-educated. 
Now, the over-education variable is arguably a problem because if you think about it subjectively, you just what it does, it takes the individual's level of education as a measure of their human capital. Okay? But your education is only one component of your human capital. What it misses, it, it misses the skills and abilities that you learn on the job, and it also misses the element that relates to innate ability. So education, or educational attainment, is a very rough proxy for your total human capital. And within the education variable, the job entry requirements proxies the skill content of the job. Again, that's a bit of a dodgy assumption as well, because we know we live in a world of, of rising educational attainment and credentialism. And lots of times, you know, a degree is asked uh, as an entry requirement for a job, but certainly uh, the skills that, that that job contains don't relate to a degree level education. So over education, which sort of measures education as a proxy for human capital against uh, job entry requirements as a proxy for skill content is problematic and we, you know, arguably uh, it's, it's a rough measure of actual skill underutilization. But overskilling, where we ask an individual to compare the extent, to assess the extent to which there's all their skills and abilities, okay, whether they be uh, gained through education, through on-the-job training, or whether they relate to uh, innate ability, the extent to which all of their skills and abilities are being used within their current job, okay, so they're, they're, they're comparing all their human capital directly with the job content, is a much more robust measure of mismatch because it gets over all these problems that is associated with the over-education variable. And what we do in this paper, he says, well, what happens when we simultaneously can take model both of these effects within uh, a wage equation, for example, because typically when you measure, when you put the over-education variable within a wage equation, you get a big negative effect. So over-educated workers earn a lot less relative to their match counterparts. What happens when we model both together? As I said, in terms of the variables that we, uh, we use... Sorry, escapism. Okay, so in terms of the difference, well, we consider four states. Uh, the individual can be matched. The individual can uh, be overeducated only. Okay, so this is an individual that says, well, um, I'm matched in skill, but I'm overeducated for my job. This might be we argue, This might be indicated indicative of lower ability. So you think. Um, this is the graduate in the job that requires a leaving certificate telling us that they're, they're, they're not, they're, they use all their skills and abilities. So, that, so that's, that's, a, that's a weird one and perhaps that's a low ability graduate. The next state is an individual that says, well, I'm overskilled only. So therefore they're matched in education, uh, but their skills aren't being used in the job. So this is the graduate in the graduate job telling us they're underutilized. So perhaps that's an indication that of credentialism that the job content of the of, of the job is actually uh, being raised because of rising educational uh, or number of graduates in, in the labour market. 
And then we have the situation where individuals say they are both overeducated and overskilled, and we call this genuine mismatch. Okay, in terms of the key variables, as I said, the overeducation variable is measured as one standard deviation above the occupational mode. Overskilling is measured from a question in Hilda that says, I use many of my abilities in my current job. Uh, that goes from one to scale, a scale of one to seven, where one is strongly disagrees, seven strongly agree. We take one to three to be to measure overskilling. We have other papers where we have, we break this up and we do sensitivity tests, so we think that's about about right. Job satisfaction again is measured subjectively. So individuals are asked to rate their job satisfaction from zero to ten. We take a value of seven or above as being satisfied. And in terms of, we've, this is a panel, so we're able to measure job mobility as the extent to which individuals separate, i.e. they quit or they get sacked from their job over the last wave. So that's another outcome variable uh, that we consider here. The data comes from, as I said, the Household Income and Labour Dynamics of Australia data set, which is a very good data set uh, for anything relating to education or health or uh, that you want to do some panel uh, study on. We are restricting our sample to graduates in full-time employment. In terms of the sample size, we have about 1,200 per wave, which is quite good. In terms of the incidence of over-education, what we find is about 8% of individuals of graduates in any one year are over-educated, around 8% are over-skilled, and around 4% are both over-educated and over-skilled. So total over-education and over-skilling is around 12% separately, if you take those just as two separate variables. Now, in terms of some descriptives, Okay, so these, this is just looking at the wages, which is the gross weekly wage. So you can see that, obviously, um, wages are highest for the matched workers. And that everyone who is mismatched, whether that be over-educated only, over-skilled only, or both over-educated and over-skilled, earns less. And we can see that wages are lowest for these guys who are um, both over-educated and over-skilled. So, mismatch at this very broad descriptive level, looks to be pretty harmful, uh, no matter what way it... it um, this is weekly, weekly. gross weekly uh, wages. So just okay. some very... Can you give us some sense, Shane, as to how many, uh, what proportion of the workforce are in each of these models? Yeah, that's, that's, so there's, in, in this group, um, around 8%, in this group, around 8%, and this is around 4%, so in any one wave. And this is in cohorts, this is population level uh, data. So, here's the job satisfaction. Now this is where it gets sort of interesting. So we can see that if you just look at the, this is the distribution, 1 to 10, but if you look at the average job satisfaction level of the matched workers, it's 7.6, so it's quite high. The over-educated only guys have similar <coughs> job satisfaction levels to the, uh, to the matched workers, the people who, who are who matched in terms of both their skill and education. So even though the over-educated only people have lower wages, they don't, at this level, seem to be dissatisfied. So that's sort of indicated that maybe it's not such a problem for, for those people that there's some sort of compensating story potentially going on there. But you can see for the people that are over-skilled only and over-skilled and over-educated, they have lower levels of job satisfaction as well as lower wages. So it's starting to look as if this is a, more of a problem for, for those groups relative to people who are just educational mismatched only. And if we look at job mobility, what this tells us is, right, in any one wave, around 10% of matched graduates will leave their job. Uh, around most of those will, will, will quit, and if, you know, a very small proportion will be sacked. 
similar for males and females. And you can see again the distribution for the overeducated only people in terms of their job mobility patterns doesn't look very much different uh, from the people who are matched. So again, overeducation only doesn't seem to have a big impact in terms of higher mobility levels or job satisfaction despite their having lower wages. So it's not using these broad indicators seeming to be much of a problem. These guys, the overskilled people you can see, are much more likely to, in terms of males, quit, and they're much more likely to be sacked. Okay, obviously being mismatched is a problem for the employer as well as the employee here. Slight different pattern in, in females, they are more, much more likely to be um, to quit, but they're almost so much likely to go into other uh, types of outcome, and basically this is where uh, they move because of uh, their, their husbands or, they, or childbirth. So the, the, the pattern's slightly different, and the reasons are slightly different, but you can see that, again, the bottom line is that these guys seem to have higher rates of job mobility, the overeducated only, uh, seem to have very similar rates relative to the matched base case. Okay, so that's very just descriptive information, but what we're going to do, we've moved to some econometric estimates now. So what we do here is we begin with pooled models. Hill is very nice in the sense that you can pool all waves. Uh, so we have six waves here, I said seven, we have six waves, and you can apply cross-section on these. And you can use the, it as one huge cross-section, okay, and you can get an estimate out that way. But obviously, you know, cross-sectional results, I mean, you know the old story that, um, they don't take account of to serve heterogeneity, so the panel models are much more robust for doing that. So the argument is, uh, for example, if, uh, if overeducated people are, are lower ability, and that's an unobserved trait, if you estimate a panel model which, uh, over which uh, time invariant factors are held constant, so lower ability is something that will be constant over time, then your estimates are robust to that. So the panel estimates are much more robust to unobserved individual heterogeneity, no matter where it comes from, than the pool models. So this is a much more, uh, this is the main benefit of using Hilda. Now, typically, uh, the, the, the uh, theory books will tell you that the fixed effect specification is the most robust uh, specification we use in panel data. What we do here is we estimate random effects and fixed effects. Now, if any of you are in this data, you know that for some binary type models like the uh, a panel uh, probate model. There is no fixed effect specification. So what we do there is we stick in a Mundlack correction, which is you put in the time varying uh, means of your time varying variables as a control, uh, as, a, as, a, as a proxy fixed effect. So we do that where we don't have an actual fixed effect. And we also estimate propensity score models. And we argue that in respect to job satisfaction, we do this. And we argue, well, this will also get over unobserved heterogeneity because we uh, harness the panel aspect of our data. So what we do within a PSM model is in stage one, we, we uh, model the extent to which the individual is say, overskilled as a function of, other, among other things, the fact that they were overskilled previously. And the biggest determinant of being overskilled now is being overskilled in the past. So by setting up our PSM models in that way, what we actually do is uh, we, we have a treatment group of individuals who are overskilled in the past and are overskilled now relative to a control group who were overskilled in the past and matched now. So we argue if there's any un unobserved heterogeneity going on with overskilling, uh, it will be in the treatment group, but it will also be in the, in the control group. So we homogenize the, the, the data set in a sense, so we should get over any unobserved uh, effects there as well. And then there's a paper with, I have a cost, it's Marvin Morrison, economic record, where we sort of uh, try and develop that argument uh, a bit more fully. Now, 
So here's what's happening now. I'm only showing the coefficients here on the actual key variables. Okay, we have the kitchen sink basically in these models. There's everything that's controlled by that we have within Hilda. So we see, we'll start off with the OLS, the pooled cross section, and then we move to the random effects, random effects with the Mundelec correction and the fixed effects estimation. And I put in the random effects with Mundelec correction just to show you that you get they're, they're comparable to the standard fixed effects model. So later on, when we don't have a fixed effects, when I use the Mundelec correction, just to show you that, that basically, you know, it should be. Predict regressions. Yeah. The linear models. These are, yeah. So why do you need, to, you don't need to do the Mundelec stuff? No, I'm just showing you that. Um, Whereas we could do fixed effects. Yeah, but in some of the specifications later on, the reason why, there is a reason why I'm doing the Mundelec here. Uh, I'll come to it in a minute. But in some of the later specifications, we don't have fixed effects. So I'm just showing you that the Mundelec is comparable to a fixed effects. Uh, for instance, when I said when we don't have a fixed effects, we already have the random effects. Mm -hmm. Probit model, if you throw the, the, the Mundelec in there, it, should, uh, it is controlling for fixed effects. But there's another reason why we have it here anyway. But if we look at here, you know, the overeducated only males. OLS gives a 6.1% pay penalty. But you can see when we move to these other specifications, it disappears. Uh, for, the, for, the, for the males, actually, the only consistent wage effect that, that holds is uh, with respect to overskilling, both being both overskilled and overeducated. And the consistent wage effect. Uh, for the females, which relates to the uh, being overskilled only. Is but your T-race here right? The wage effect, you're saying it's statistically significant? Yeah. Uh, hold on, are they those? Oh. The, that's a, that's, uh, a that's 95%. Yeah, no, no. Wage effect FE, you go across, right? Coefficients by 117. Wage effect FE, yeah. For males here? Yeah, for males. Up a bit. Yeah. Right a bit. They just kind of get, I think they're just standard errors, Kevin, on the bottom one. I think Kevin's are they T's or? They're T's. No, they're standard. The, the bottom one there is are standard errors. If you look at the minus one point, the bottom of the of where it says wage effect FE over on the right. This one? Here. <laughs> <laughs> so this, this, this yoke is clearly not. If, that, if that's a standard error, it's just not significant. Uh, or, or a bit, sorry, is that a T? It's, well, way, it's, it's just a standard error. No, if it's a standard error, then none of these are significant. Uh, so it should, I think, it should, that, I think it that should, particular one is a standard error. Yeah, it should be a T, but it could be. I mean, they are, the, the coefficients in the stars are right now. I'm not sure whether I've plugged in the standard error of T there. But, um, they Even are. the standard error is not significant. Because the T is. Well, if that's, if that's a standard error, uh, no, you're right. I'll have to check that one, to be honest. Because if that was a standard, no, but, yeah. Perfect. No, it wouldn't be significant. Well, take my word for it. One way or the other, it's significant. <laughs> It says the type of some description, but I don't know what of, of what description it is about standard things. But we're not convinced of the fact that we think that the fixed effects model actually could, could overdo it in this respect, because there is a paper by Hauke Budemar from the Melbourne Institute, and he argues that in fixed effects estimation, uh, a lot if you have a lot of time invariant, if you have a time invariant variable, a lot of it's explanatory, such as education or mismatch. A lot of this explanatory power will be absorbed within the simple fix of that. So um, that what you might have here, for instance, or I'll pick one, say here, is a variable that is statistically insignificant, uh, but economically significant because all of its explanatory power has been sucked up in the fix of that. 
So what we do, so we're just trying to say, well, what is the right specification here? And then what we do, well, we said, well, what we, we'll test if we purge the fixed effect, and then we will regress all the, the time varying means of our right-hand side variables on the fixed effect to see the extent to which uh, our mismatch variables are being sucked up, the effect of them are going into the fixed effect, and then we know if we see no effect or if mismatch variables going into the fixed effect, we said, well, the fixed effect is correct. If we see that our fixed effect our, our, our mismatch variables have been into the fixed effect, well, we'll say the true specification of the true effect of these is probably somewhere between the fixed and the random effect. Can I just suggest that I think it's almost 99% certain that the typo is just that the decimal point should be, it should be minus 3. Right, if you work it out. No, okay. you, can, you can't work it out, but if you look at the direction from the other side, okay. it's, right. it's just that the T should be minus 3.07 rather than... Okay. It is, I'm pretty sure it's statistically significant. But if you look, so if you even follow it from the yeah. it just looks yeah. like... No problem. So. I'll check that out later. But anyway, when we do this, what we see is, in fact, yeah, with, with the exception of the overeducation, we can see that for the, the, the variables that, uh, when we decompose the fixed effect, we can see that uh, a lot of the effect, or some of the effect, at the very least, is going into the, the fixed effect. So that... Sorry too far. We would say that the wage effect in terms of um, for males will lie, lie somewhere between the, the random effects and the fixed effect specification so there probably is something there for the overskilled only as well and down here for the females but uh, we can sort of disregard the any wage effect for the overeducated only. So what we're saying is again when we come to the uh, estimation strategies is that <laughs> while wages are lower uh, for people who are overskilled only and overskilled and overeducated, we find no wage effect when we model these things simultaneously for workers who are, have, are educationally mismatched only, for the overeducated only. When we go to the um, job satisfaction, and what we have in here is we have propensity score estimates and we also have this uh, random effects probit with the one that correction, but, and they match up pretty well, but what you can see, that no matter what way we look at it, uh, job satisfaction is lower for people who are overskilled only, are overskilled and overeducated. There's no job satisfaction effect for people who are uh, overeducated only. So again, what we're finding is probably this doesn't look to be a problem. We don't find any wage effect. Now we're not finding any um, uh, job satisfaction effect. But these other people, uh, we're finding both wage and effects in job satisfaction. So the evidence is, is, is sort of stacking up uh, in favour of overskilled. Overskilling only being a problem for the worker and overskilled and overeducated being a problem for the worker and overeducated only not being a problem for the worker. Next, we look, there's information on different facets of, over of uh, job satisfaction and we try and break these down. What are they dissatisfied with? They don't tell us very much. These are the overall ones that you saw in the previous estimation. And everybody generally is dissatisfied uh, with the nature of the work. But what we did find is that overeducated only females aren't satisfied with job flexibility. And that perhaps for the females tells us that there may be a compensating effect going on there that uh, females may, in some cases, may be um, opting uh, for a job for which they are overqualified that perhaps allows them to uh, have a, a greater work-life balance. Now, this is the, the uh, models in job mobility. So, Again, this is our third measure of whether or not uh, this over these different types of mismatch are problematic for the worker. 
So we can see that what we have here is um, a random effects probe model. And the left-hand side variable is, in the first model, the individual changes job from the last period. In the second model, we break that down into the individual uh, was sacked or the, and the individual was laid off. Okay? Relative, and the base case is always the match group. But you can see here again, if you look at the males who are overeducated only and the females who are overeducated only, there's no statistically significant effects there. They are no more likely to job separate. And this is what we saw in the descriptors from workers who were matched in both education and skills. So in the third sort of measure, yet again we're finding that these overeducated workers aren't more likely to job separate. If you look at the males who are overskilled over only, we can see that they are more likely to job separate. And that separation actually looks as if it's more likely to uh, relate to an exogenous job loss. They're more likely to be sacked on than quit. And if we look at the overskilled and overeducated only, we see that they are also more likely to, to job separate. But in that case, again, the, the, if you look, I think there's a marginal fact, they're more likely to quit. Uh, but they are also likely to be sacked, but uh, probably somewhat lower. Now, for the females, I think we ran into sort of a slightly, the, the estimation here is, isn't very clear. We find that, on the whole, when we, at the aggregate level, they are more likely to job separate uh, if they're overskilled only. We find one of the effect there. But it's not clear whether that relates to um, quitting or. Uh, are being being sacked. It looks as if it's, it relates to voluntary job loss, but we didn't find uh, any effect for the. And we were, we were we were hitting some problems here with the estimation in terms of our samples and, and things like that. So we weren't able to get reliable estimates uh, for the females who were overeducated no, and and uh, overskilled. But uh, yet again, while we find evidence of higher rates of job mobility for. Uh, people who are males who are overskilled only and overskilled and overeducated, and for females who are overskilled only, we find no evidence again of higher rates of job mobility for these overeducated only people. So these are very different results than what you get. I mean, if you, if, if if we model this <coughs> as overeducated, and we don't model these things simultaneously, we find over we'll find big wage effects for overeducation. Um, we'll find big, big, big effects for job satisfaction, and we'll find uh, big effects for um, <coughs> labour market mobility. But when you measure it with overskilling, the overeducation effects go, go away. It's not something we're particularly happy about because both Peter Stone and I have published stuff on overeducation, arguing that it's a, it's a big problem because of these things for the last number of years. But what actually it looks to be the case that when, we're, when we model overeducation on its own, the effect that we get is due to its correlation with overskilling. And when we separate the overskilling effect out, we see very little evidence that overeducation in its uh, own right is, uh, is a problem. But I suppose we're not really that concerned because we only ever argued that overeducation was a proxy for skill mismatch in the first place. So when we have this uh, more precise measure, uh, we see that the effects are consistent with what we previously reported, but the overeducation only uh, uh, variable actually tells us very little. So do, do people's overeducation or status and their overskilled status change from year to year? 
Like are they asked this question every year? Yeah. Or is it just well, it's, 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 it's measured. It's, it's measured every year, but uh, generally not. We both types, could. Yeah, they yeah. could. But both seem to are very persistent over time uh, in terms of uh, uh, the, the, the dynamics of it. We, don't we, have, we have appeared on, on dynamics uh, where we do the same thing. The dynamics are pretty constant. People don't actually. Yeah, it's a pretty persistent state. Uh, like once you're in it. You don't want to be too persistent, otherwise your fixed effects will whack you. Well, no, exactly. You're not. There is there's enough movement in here yeah. to get an estimate out. Uh, but it, you know, it, what we find is roughly that sixty percent of if we do the film on a cohort basis, we find uh, you know an overeducation. Uh, so around thirty percent of all graduates on the overeducation side, so they haven't done any cohort and cohort study, are thirty to forty percent will be overeducated the first job. And 60% of those will still be overeducated five years later. So it's a pretty uh, persistent uh, sort of state. So if you're unlucky enough to get into it, you get pretty much stuck. And what we do find is, yes, these people have higher rates of job mobility on the whole, but their job mobility tends to be from one state of mismatch to another, rather than from a state of mismatch to a state of being managed. Now, 
there are satchel controls in here. There's controls for other types of, of variables. And it could be that, you know, that, uh, for example, if it's, if it's compensating wage factor, okay, um, it could be going into the public sector, which would have lower wage. So those other covariates in the model could be impacted by the differences uh, that are driving that are this result. I mean, it seems very important to try and tease that out. Because, yeah. because otherwise it sounds almost definitional that that, 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 that Yeah, I know what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. On, on the other bit of it then, the, the subjective measure of overskilling, mm -hmm. is, is it not possible that you're simply getting people who uh, are underpaid yeah. relative to their peers and therefore are unhappy? Well, exactly, but what we do, you know, we do use this job complexity variable uh, to try, you know, it shouldn't really be picking up that effect. I mean, if, if, if it was the case that they, they were just, you know, they, they were feeling very bad because they're getting paid less than everyone else uh, who's doing similar jobs in, in the graduate labour market and there's no lower satisfaction, all those things would happen. But that, you sh that shouldn't, the job complexity would only pick up. So yes, where is that? Where is the that's another. That's another. That's another. Now we haven't done this paper, but if a paper with uh, Mark Wooden that we published last year in Industrial Relations, because they're after recent back at exactly the same point. And what we do then is we say like we have overskilling, and then we said well, we'd only say you're overskilled if you say you're overskilled and you find your job uh, to have low complexity. So we we, we spin the variable, like that, but we, the results didn't change. But it's still a subjective measure of, way of job complexity. Yes, it is. It is. It is. But it should be. If, if what you're picking up, um, which, are, which is yes in here, is that you know, on the unhappy worker effect, that shouldn't necessarily affect the job complexity variable. We would argue. It should affect all these other things. You know what they say about you know, the, and, but the wages, yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah, that could be driven from lower wages, but it shouldn't affect job complexity. So we, we think by cross cabinet uh, the the variable with that we do. Sort of uh, fact, we, we can fact, we can factor out some of the uh, unhappy worker sort of effects. There's also you could use the empirical argument. Well, you know, you're an unhappy worker now, you'll be an unhappy worker, you know, consistently, and I mean, fixed effect tests, you know, that would be an unobserved uh, time invariant effect, and a fixed effect estimation should get rid of that. I don't believe that, sort of but I mean, that's you know another empirical argument that that's put forward. But what I would say is the job complexity uh, variables. When we, when we match, it's pretty convincing in that most people who, who are overskilled uh, have report low levels of job complexity. So, uh, so why I don't doubt for a minute that there's bias here. We, you know, we think that we're probably hopefully picking up great effects. So, what does this lead us to conclude? Well, we don't see any over impact, any impact of, of the overeducation only on variables. So the, the impacts are limited to individuals who are both overeducated uh, for uh, and overskilled among males and overskilled only in females. We find little evidence to suggest that overeducated only workers had lower levels of job satisfaction. The opposite uh, was true for the, the, the levels of mismatch that contain some component of overskilling. Lower job satisfaction, typically related to work satisfaction, where female overeducated workers um, were less satisfied with job flexibility, which maybe looks towards the compensating wage differential effect. I have another paper, Peter Sloan, but actually we find there is a compensating wage effect, but it tends to be more for, for male graduates, funnily enough, in terms of family responsibilities using reflex data. 
Overeducated workers not, were not more likely to job separated, but the other groups were. So our conclusions based on this is that overeducated only being educated, education mismatched uh, alone, which is around 8% of this graduate uh, cohort, a grouping, a population in Australia, there was little impact on pay, uh, job satisfaction or mobility. So the evidence, at least from the Australian case, uh, doesn't support the view that this state represents a problem for workers. But when you, sorry, when you just to point that, when you, when you put that in without controlling for um, skills mismatch, you still find it with a high coefficient of overeducation. Yeah, but the, but the argument is that it's it's just because that yeah. there's, a, there's an overlap between the, that, that the, that the, uh, the overeducation variable in its own right is probably just practicing, picking up the effects of the skill mismatch that, 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 that's within it because of the correlation. Uh, but when you separate the effects out, it's only the skill mismatch that, that actually has an impact. This is partly covered in the answers to your previous questions, but I mean, there, there is a huge debate about the extent to which you should model the subjective variables as a function of other subjective variables in the sense that what, what it, may, it may not be proxying for skills mismatch, it may be proxying for, for job satisfaction. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, where, I mean, I, I don't, there's no, I mean, there's no one sentence to answer that question. I think it's, a, I think it's an interesting one to talk about in terms yeah. of, I mean, you've already alluded to the point that some people make the... Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, you can get yeah, but it's not. No, it's not. Well, there's going to be a certain circularity to all of this, unfortunately. Um, but you know, I we would say in terms of the data, we've done as much as we we, we probably can. We think to ensure that what we're, we're getting, both in terms of the estimate. I mean, certainly with what's gone before in terms of the Van der Ven paper in the OEP and, and the work with Inzu and uh, and Green, which is just done cross-sectional sort of work, I mean, you know, this is, um, we would argue this is a much more reliable framework and, and, the, and the checks and balances that we put in the paper are more rigorous uh, than that. And what we can say, you know, and all we can say is based on the evidence that we have, we, we are sort of discounting this educational mismatch only as being a problem uh, for workers. There, there's other things maybe going on, but in terms of, in terms of the wage effects, Lower job levels of job satisfaction and higher rates of job mobility, whether they be quitting or, or being sacked. Um, and you imagine, you know, what you might say about uh, job satisfaction, in terms of exogenous job loss, I mean, you can't really say that. So, I mean, there's something going on, have we? There's something going on here that is displeasing employers if they're, if they're getting rid of these guys. Um, it's the overscaling, it's the skill mismatch that actually uh, is, is the problem. So the, the costs here are the costs to the individual. Well, what we can see also is that there, there are costs uh, to the firm if, if they're if they're well, you know, What I was thinking of was, you know, yeah. the bus driver has a, has a PhD. Mm -hmm. He might be happy, but the taxpayer who's paid for it should have held on. So yeah. there is a waste of resources. Absolutely, yeah. But what we do find is that the employer I mean, it's very hard to get. I mean, you need a, you need a length employer employer data set to get a handle of what's going on on the employer side. Now, Peter Sloan has a paper where he shows that um, the the employer does extract a rent from the mismatched workers um, over and above in terms of productivity uh, that, that that they are more productive than the than the match than the, than the less qualified worker in a similar job. So that there is a rationale. Um, even, the, even though they may be less satisfied and, and they may not hang around very long, mm -hmm. probably uh, is a rationale for why the employers keep them in there in the 
arts, I think, will have a momentum. But in terms of resources, yeah, that's, that's very true. I mean, you know, and in terms, it's not a small number if, if we're thinking that in any particular cohort, 20% uh, would be mismatched after five years. It's not, it's not a big use of taxpayer money. Or the, you know, if, if people start paying, you know, it's a UDK system, it's the, it's the individual's own investment because they've accumulated the debt themselves or something as well as the state. I suppose if you, if you want to pay to be over-educated, unless you're and there's a consumption element that we miss in this. You know, that uh, people are more likely to be over-educated over if they do arts degrees and history and, and, and so on and so forth. And, and they may know that, and, but they may just want to study, uh, you know, as a consumption good and, and uh, be happy with, with going in at the labor market at a low level. That should say economics there. Economics, well, the social sciences are actually done for a very long time. Economists, economists are very much, right? They are. Luckily, they are. Um, and James, I think it's very interesting that you're doing this analysis with panel mm. data. And um, so, yeah, you haven't yet looked at how long it takes for these things to wear off. So we did, as I said, the problem is. Um, um, we have another another group that that costs Marvin Mars, but we try and estimate a dynamic model, yeah. and we use uh, Mark Stewart has a new uh, dynamic. Um, yeah, uh, but the panel's just not long enough. What we can say is that there's a one-year dynamic effect for sure, very strong. The dynamic effect is still there on the on the second leg, but the coefficients go very lowly, and you know we couldn't stand over. So there is, there is. It looks good, you know. We, we need a lot, a much wide, uh, longer panel than this to really get at the dynamics. It looks as if, you know, uh, if we go in cohort studies, certainly um, it seems to be pretty permanent for a lot of people, uh, despite higher rates of mobility. But you know, what we really want to do is, is actually estimate a, a dynamic model with lots of lag to see exactly, you know, how the how the effects are, are wearing off over time, and we've tried that, but. Hilda, as it currently stands, isn't just up to the job. Can you show the domain satisfaction in the workplace slide again, please? Yeah. So you have satisfaction yeah. with pay and satisfaction with all that. Let me see. Can you slide show? Or get F5, that'll be a hundred. <laughs> okay. Right. To some extent, if you're just picking up cranky people, yeah, it's the work satisfaction yeah. is is the consistent. I mean, it, you know, that is pretty consistent. It's not these other aspects. It's actually not pay, which yeah. is, you know, it it tells us that that it is probably a level of underutilization because it's it's. Uh, yeah, I suppose yeah, that brings that in terms of that circularity. It, it, it isn't a pay effect. It looks as if it's job content um, where, they're, where they're, they're dissatisfied. But the interesting one is the, the overeducated females aren't satisfied with the, with the work, but their, their general level of satisfaction isn't really that low um, that of other of the match workers. So again, that's what makes us think towards compensating wages. Why, why, you know, why? It looks as if for the other guys, having uh, low levels of 
satisfaction with the work content drives the overall effect. But that's not coming through for the females. Uh, and this flexibility uh, relating to the family and work-life balance is showing up. So that led us to think that there's a compensating wage effect going on. Um, and we do this then, there's a graduate cohort data um, set that I, we try to explore this with Peter Sloan, and we do find evidence of that, um, that over-educated workers do tend to put a higher weight and more, are more likely to be in uh, jobs that offer a greater work-life balance. But here you're finding that over-educated women are less satisfied with the flexibility. Yeah, I mean, but that's not to say that they, I mean, another way, we thought about this, and the way we look at it, if I'm giving up, I'm uncompensated for a better work-life balance. You're going to be in a job that um, you're going to put more weight on the work-life balance aspect of the job, but that's not, not necessarily to say that's going to be you're going to be totally satisfied with it either. So it could be evidence of, of where they're orientating uh, their preferences, rather than saying, well, you know, uh, so that having low satisfaction it doesn't mean to say that's not driving their jobs for a particular attribute. It doesn't mean to say that that's still not important. Driver. Know, in terms of job choice, and then in fact, might possibly indicate the opposite. But equally, regardless of what results you got there, you could make that same argument and it would sound plausible. Yeah, that's true. That's true. But I mean, as I said, we do, we do then we use this result to look at it in another data set. We do find out, we did find out, do find out of more or less the same sort of thing. Uh, and this is this is reflex data, so Europe is very good data set. But we just look at it within the, and it's just And we look at it within the context of the UK labour market, and we do find uh, we, we have developed the measure uh, in that of that we, we said we'll pick up these compensating wage effects, and we do find again uh, that, that, that there is evidence consistent with what we're saying in terms of our interpretation here of uh, compensating effects. And mismatched workers are mismatched; they look at lower levels of satisfaction because their preferences are oriented elsewhere. Interesting questions here. How, how badly do you go wrong if you just use the uh, uh, one period or less as opposed to fixed effect? Have you, well, are they, are, do the fixed effects have a lot? Well, I mean, the fixed effects have a lot on the, you know, on virtually everything. I mean, you can see you would you still on the OLS, you get fixing like an engagement effect for the, uh, the over educated. And even when you move to random effects, it's not to get rid of most of that for, for the over educated only. Uh, I still believe that fixed effects estimation is for this type of variable or any educational effect. I mean, I, I saw someone recently doing a, a paper uh, on the public sector wage premium using fixed effects models. And I think that's, again, because everything's got to go into the fixed effect. You know, it's just so dodgy in that respect. And that's why, you know, we try to get a handle of it by doing this decomposition and showing that, you know, these variables are actually, you know. Well, you're getting identification from switchers. Yeah, that's not generally the interpretation that's put on to these models at all. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's the no, interpretation. That's, that's, that's a really good question. Yeah. Well. Like, if, if you are getting identification from such a in this, in the context of job satisfaction, well, we, well, we use PSM mm -hmm. uh, estimation for the job satisfaction, and in terms of the other, we have random effects. And what we actually say is here is that, um, you know, what is actually going on here is the truth lies somewhere between the fixed effects and the random effects uh, specification, but it's not up as far as the OLS. Certainly wrong. Shame this skills mismatch variable yeah. or uh, kind of um, outcome yeah. relates to more than just education. 
you're saying it's all aspects of yeah, it should, it should be all aspects of human capital, although this sample restricts, restricts graduates. Yeah, I was going to make that point. So, is, yeah. would you consider restricting the sample to people who are three years out after graduation? Because then you'd be looking at a sample you, where you, people you, have experience. You, you could you could do this. You could do that um, as well. But as I said, we, when you, we haven't yet, and that will be interesting to see. Because when we use the graduate cohort data, uh, we actually do have an example where we do restrict it in the reflex paper. We restrict it to um, current job, which is five years after graduation, and we get uh, we get the similar similar results. I mean, the, the, the obviously the coefficients change, but you know they're still significant and, and negative. Um, and there's been a lot of work done on the on the overeducated uh, using co cohort data, but I think our paper at Sloan is the first one we've, we've used cohort data for overstaring. But it, again. Um, there will be an aspect when people win the labour market of finding their niche and, and you know yeah. and there will be you know we can't totally dismiss theories of occupational job mobility people going in those are learning basics but there is a hard for people who uh, um, it, it is better to look at it further down the road because then you can be sure that what you're getting uh, is not uh, driven by these other things for sure. So, so, so we, could separate, we, could, we could separate those we could get the early graduates uh, out of that. So then a follow-up question then is really why is there skills mismatch in the labour market? Like I think the wider factors. I think I mean I think basically it's you know could it be labour demand? Well, demand my, my, you know, I certainly don't uh, believe in human capital theory. The human capital theory tells you that the only thing that matters is your human capital, and, and it ignores that you know, and, and everyone will earn their their marginal product, and we will all live happily ever after. I mean, one of the contributions I think of the overeducation literature is that uh, you know it allows form of test between human capital theory, assignment theory, which says that actually the demand side matters as well as, as, as your human capital. And the Thoreau's job competition uh, model that says that actually the only thing that matters in, in terms of determining wages is the, the, the stock of jobs in the economy and job characteristics. And what generally we find is that most of the theory, most of the studies accept the, the assignment interpretation. So the, the nature of labour demand is uh, clearly important. And, but in terms of educational planning and, and, and everything else, there's, there's very little mechanism linking both sides in terms of, of what's being produced in universities and what's actually demanded in the labour market. Mm -hmm. The only mechanism that you have there in terms of skill shortages is the wage. And obviously that's not good enough because the time you, you have a wage signal, you already have a problem and then you have a huge training lag. So, uh, we also have an expert group on future skills needs here in Ireland who yeah, set yeah, out strategic yeah, areas. They've been pretty quiet for the last few years. <laughs> <so>. <laughs> right. You could take that with a pinch of salt. Yeah, I mean, but that, that's better than nothing. Yeah. Um, but is it a sufficient mechanism? I, I, you know, I would probably say no. I mean, that, they seem to be more vocationally oriented than mm -hmm. caring towards the needs of the construction boom and thinking more big picture about what is the composition of, of, of uh, higher education. I mean, you could change the, edu the, the education composition, but it probably wouldn't do very, very much because you're still going to have the same stock of graduate jobs in the, in, the in the economy. I mean, my own interpretation is it's a numbers problem. And it's a numbers problem that's getting worse. And people say, well, if it's a numbers problem, why aren't the rates of return to schooling falling? But if you break it up into cohort data, you'll find that the rates of return uh, to schooling for younger cohort, for under 30s, are much lower now uh, than they were 10 or 12 years ago. It's because rates of return are measured within the whole stock of the economy and it takes a long time for the, for the composition of the stock to change that you don't actually see that. Okay, um, Brian, did you want to just very quickly? You're focusing on these over-skilled folk again. And I think it's very interesting that there's twice as many of them 
as there are in the overskilled and overeducated group. So this this is a big group. Yeah, like yeah, no, relative, there, there's there's eight percent overskilled only and four percent overeducated overskilled. So there's twelve percent. Yeah, but but so two thirds of that group are in the overskilled. Yeah, group. only yeah. And what we know about them is that they're graduates yeah. in graduate jobs. Yeah. Not being paid a graduate wage. Mm -hmm. If you want to think about right. it crudely. And they're unhappy about that. Yeah. And the reason they're not being paid a graduate wage in their own on, on the basis of the job evaluation response is because they're not really graduate jobs. Mm -hmm. They're not jobs mm -hmm. that demand graduate skills. Mm -hmm. From that point of view, it's not because they as individuals are particularly skilled, it's because they're not actually graduate jobs. Yeah. Exactly. And so they leave or they get fired mm -hmm. or whatever. Now that sounds very really like the old overeducation literature, doesn't it? It does. Um, in terms of how you would actually interpret what you're seeing. But remember, uh, <coughs> I suppose argue this, Brian, is that overeducation is only ever meant to be a proxy for overskilling, for, for the skill mismatch. And, and that description of what we observed within the overeducation literature was probably driven by the component of the overeducated who are overskilled. Uh, but when we separate, separate out the facts that there's, there's something about Because what's happening with the overeducated only people is that they're not job separated, they're not being sacked. They don't have higher rates of voluntary, of, of involuntary mobility. They're stable in their in their in their workplaces as uh, the people who are matched. It's only the guys, the component of them who are, who are mismatched in skills that are moving on in the labour market. Uh, so I suppose the, 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 the other way of looking at that is that what we would have picked up within the overeducated variable if we didn't distinguish between overeducated and over and people who are overskilled would be the component of the overeducated who are also overskilled and high, at these higher rates of, of mobility. Yeah, I guess all I'm saying is that, in some sense, the problem is that they're, that they're in jobs that are mostly now done by graduates, but don't need graduate skills. Well, exactly, yeah, but this is this. And, that's, <laughs> and that, that, is, that is right back to what we thought was the credentialization. Well, this, 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 this is it. This issue. Is it. I mean, yeah. So it's not so far from your earlier results? No, no, yes, yeah. not. Um, I'm going to bring it to a close. That, that was a fantastic talk, but incredibly important issues, so thank you very much, Shannon. Yeah.